It's good to be back with you again. I apologise, I am still getting used to looking up and actually seeing people at church. Usually I'm here and there's no one here. So it's a nice thing though to see your faces. Uh, So we've just heard this passage that Anne's read with the text of the Ten Commandments. It's one of the most famous, of course, and well-known parts of the entire Bible. Some of you can probably recite most of it by heart. And a lot of people have a complicated relationship with the Ten Commandments because of how well-known they are. So some people have a very positive view of them and believe that they are the cornerstone of Western civilization. You might have come across some of the controversies around the United States, uh, in states like Alabama or the rest, over whether people should put monuments like this to uh, the Ten Commandments in their courtrooms and whether that's a good thing to do. Uh, So some people really love the Ten Commandments. Some people are less positive about the Ten Commandments, though. Here in Melbourne a few years ago, um, a uniting church in the city had a very expensive promotional campaign uh, for a sermon series about the Ten Commandments saying that it was the most negative document ever written. I don't know if you ever saw that sign around. It was about ten years ago, I think. So is that something that you've been tempted to think? I'm not sure. So we're going to talk today about the Ten Commandments. Pardon me. And hopefully we'll have a more balanced view of their value than they're entirely positive, entirely negative. What do they actually mean? Now, I don't want to necessarily talk today about the specific commandments, each, what they say. That's something that we're familiar with. We talk about it in a number of different ways. Rather, what I want us to think about today as we look at this passage is what did it mean for the people of Israel to receive this law in the way that they did and at the time that they received it? Because whatever else they are, the Ten Commandments are not an isolated set of rules. <clears throat> They were given to these people at a particular point in their story in the Exodus. They were given to a particular group of people at this stage of their relationship with their God. So if we want to understand what to make of these commandments today, we need to give it in that context. And as Viv mentioned, today we're finishing our series on these chapters of Exodus 15 to 20. I've called it To the Promised Land. And this is about this part of the story, this journey that Israel took when they were set free from slavery in Egypt And they were on their way to the destination that God had promised to them. A new place to live. Living with their God and as his free people. So in that journey, I think they found, as in any journey, there were three important things for them to know. As we do in any journey. So where are we coming from, is the question. Secondly, where are we going? And thirdly, how are we going to get there? So for the Israelites in this story, the answers were, well, they were coming from slavery in Egypt. They were going to the promised land, Canaan, and they were going to get there by walking in the presence of God and following where he led them. And the various incidents in these chapters of Exodus we've seen, they describe this process of following God to where he wants to lead them. And that involved them learning to trust him, to develop a relation of closeness to God and faith, and to seek his provision, his comfort and his wisdom, and allowing that to shape their behaviour and their life. This is what they learnt on the journey. Now, as I mentioned a few weeks ago, I chose this part of Exodus because I do think there are parallels between this journey of the Israelites and our own journey at the moment. Where are we going? Where have we come from? We've come from an extended lockdown not the first, hopefully the last. And we're headed towards 
a new future, which is uncertain. We don't know what's going to be happening. A way of life that's unknown. There's more freedom and more choice, yes. But we're not even sure possibly how we're going to get there. The way is going to be challenging. There might be hiccups and setbacks on the way. And so we need the wisdom and guidance of the Spirit as we go through this journey together. So I think we can identify with Israel in their story during these chapters. So at this key point in Exodus 20, we see that Israel has arrived at Mount Sinai. And last week, Viv took us through the process of consecration or the preparation that they undertook to be ready to encounter their holy God in this intense way. And Moses, we read, goes up the mountain to receive the laws that will guide their life as a people in the promised land. And the process of receiving the law and writing it down, it takes up most of the rest of the book of Exodus from chapter 20 onwards. So these Ten Commandments are followed by detailed instructions to Moses about how to construct the tabernacle, the place of worship, and how to worship there, about matters of conduct and community justice and how they're supposed to behave. So it's a law book. And so the Ten Commandments themselves are essentially a kind of key or a kind of front page to the full law of Moses that is elaborated in great detail in the rest of the book of Exodus and in the other books of the law, so Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. So the Ten Commandments, I think, are kind of like the front page, they're like the constitution or the bedrock of this law, the principles. So if you look at them, though, they're not abstract moral rules. Here's a series of things that you need to do about um, rules to obey. They're actually a statement of a relationship a relationship between God and his people, one that needs to be defined and needs to be nurtured through the way they relate to each other. They're kind of the rules of God's house that his people will live in. So can we just hear what the preamble to to the Ten Commandments says in verses 1 to 2? And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. It's a relationship, he's saying. This is what I'm talking to you about. And this relationship, this journey that they're on, that's the basis for the laws that they received. God has brought them out of slavery to Egypt to create a relationship with them, to be their Lord, to be their God. And so this means that the promised land, it's not just a piece of countryside, it's not a piece of real estate. It's the place where God lives with his people. That's what the promised land is. That's my understanding of what it means. The promised land is the presence of God. The promised land is the presence of God. That's where they're headed. And so all of us, both in Moses' day and in our own day, we're still on a journey to the promised land. We are seeking the presence of God. And on the basis of that, I want to think about what does this mean for us? How do we read and understand these commandments for us today in the light particularly of what Jesus did? I want to make two points then about how I think we should understand the commandments and as we read them and all the law in the Old Testament. Firstly, the first point is the Ten Commandments and all the laws that we read in the Bible, they come after God's grace has been given. And secondly, that the goal of the law that was given is to prepare us for the presence of God. That's the purpose it was given for. So at the start, I asked us to consider our feelings towards the Ten Commandments. It's really, well, how do we feel about the fact that God, there are laws in the Bible or rules to obey? And I think the reason why people have experienced the Ten Commandments as the most negative document ever written is that they think these principles that I've shared are not understood or taught or lived out and put into practice. So as I said, I believe the biblical law, we can see here, it comes after 
the experience that people have had of God's grace. So the people of Israel were rescued from Egypt in the Exodus. They were led through the desert by God before they arrived at Mount Sinai to receive their law. The start of their relationship with God was this experience of liberation. It was a free thing that happened of grace. They were set free. God's love was poured out on them. I know very well, after many years, that is not how a lot of people have experienced their life in the Christian church. The message that many of us have taken in, even unconsciously, is that the law comes first and God's love comes after. If we do what is right, perhaps if we believe that we are good people, if we've done what we should be done, if we fulfill all the obligations, then we can be accepted and feel at peace with God and that we are okay to rest in his presence. And that pattern may have been come from our families as well, where we feel that we're only accepted and loved if we do what people expect us to do. Maybe you feel like that. Inside all of us, to some degree, perhaps, is the fear that if I don't do what people expect of me, I will be rejected. And maybe God is like that too. Jesus encountered many people who'd learned to approach their religion, their life with God that way. But the truth is, as we see here, here, even at Mount Sinai, where this mountain is so holy that no one can approach it who hasn't been consecrated, the people who are there, the only people who are there, all of them, are those who have already been saved by God's grace out of slavery and invited to be his people. And the Ten Commandments, the law, they're a description of how that relationship can be sustained in the long term, not how that relationship is going to be created. The Ten Commandments were given to people who were already set free from Egypt. And so for Christians too, any moral requirements that we might have, they've been given to us as people who've been set free from sin and slavery by the death of Jesus Christ. It's the same principle. So that's the first point as we approach the law to understand this. Grace comes first. And the second point is equally important, that the goal of the law is to prepare us for the presence of God. That's what, was God, what God's people learnt. The law of Moses is not an end in itself. It's not something to be fulfilled as its own purpose. What it was meant to do was to help create the conditions where these people, this community, could live on their journey into the promised land in such a way that God would be able to remain in their midst and they would experience him. And they, they, would, they would understand and experience that if they didn't live in this way, then the Spirit of God would depart from the centre of their camp or the tabernacle or the temple where they worshipped him. And that's the tragedy that the Old Testament prophets warned them was likely to happen if they didn't listen to God's words. A holy God doesn't remain in the centre of an unholy community. That's what the law says. And so in the light of this, the Ten Commandments and the law are actually a kind of protection, almost an immunisation, dare I say, against the virus of sin that will attack and make them spiritually sick and unable to maintain the awareness of God. Most of us know very well at the moment that getting a vaccine is not an end in itself. It's a way we have to maintain our health so we can live in the way that we want. The law is the same. So when we read the Ten Commandments and the law, we're hearing about how the people should prepare themselves for the presence of God and maintain that relationship so that they can be like him. 
again, I want to say this because it's something that's very easy for us to misunderstand as we approach our faith in Jesus in our life in the church. We can pick up the idea that the point of being a Christian is to do the things that we think we should be doing, to behave a certain way, to be a very good person, to carry out certain religious tasks like attending worship a certain number of times, or to participate in Christian activities as the goal of our faith. But of course, Really, all of those things, anything we do in the church, is, has the goal only really of leading us onwards towards a deeper and deeper journey into the promised land, the presence of God. That's what it's for. At the end of our reading today, we hear of Moses taking this journey up the summit of Mount Sinai to, visit, to see his Lord. In Exodus 20, verse 21, it says, The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. So up on this mountain, as Moses approaches the presence of God, he enters into this darkness where he leaves behind everything below him. There is nothing now standing between him and his creator. No barriers, no law, nothing else, just him and God. All of those things, these laws were revealed to him there, as I've said, in order to provide a framework for a relationship with God for the people below. So that, I think, in time, all of God's people would be able to ascend this mountain as Moses did to meet with their God. So that they would be able to overcome the barriers of sin and failure that kept them from God and see him face to face in the way that Moses did. That was the goal. And that's the purpose of our faith as Christians too, to be able to enter into the presence of God in this way. In the letter to the Hebrews in the New Testament, it speaks about this and how Jesus finished for us this task that Moses began for his people. So when Jesus rose from the dead and ascended into heaven, he in a sense completed this journey up the mountain on behalf of all humanity and everyone who follows him. So in Hebrews chapter 9 verse 24 it says, For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands that was only a copy of the true one. He entered into heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. He is there. There is nothing between Christ and the Father, and there's nothing between us and him too. And because of that, we can approach him too, it says, and Hebrews goes on to encourage us to approach God with confidence because Jesus has done the same. So I think we can see in the light of these principles that the Ten Commandments and all the law, they're actually very positive documents. They are positive documents. They may say a lot of thou shalt nots, but they have a positive purpose because they teach us how to live in such a way that our ultimate goal, the presence of God, will remain open to us. That is heaven. That is the promised land. That is what we are destined for. So this is the end of our series today, looking at this journey to the promised land. Unfortunately, the, the Israelites actually aren't in the promised land yet at the end of this story. And unfortunately, because of their mistakes on the way, it took them another few decades to get there. Now, hopefully it won't take us another few decades to get to the other side of this pandemic. Um, but on that journey, they learned everything that they needed. They know who their God is, they know what he wants from them, and they know what it means to journey with him and to rely on him. They know where they're headed. All that was missing in their life sometimes was the desire to actually take the journey that God was calling them on. In order to enter the promised land, they need to want to go there. They need to, have, they need to feel a sense of urgency. A lot of Christians have thought about this particular passage over the years, and one of the most famous reflections on the life of Moses was written by a bishop in the 4th century, a man named Gregory of Nyssa. 
And in reflecting what it was like for Moses to see face God face to face like a friend, he wrote, this truly is the vision of God, never to be satisfied in the desire to see him. This truly is the vision of God, never to be satisfied in our desire to see him. So to see God, to experience the presence of God, comes from an ever-increasing desire for that vision, for that experience. And as we see him, that desire only grows deeper and deeper. It can always be more and more. To know God and to see him face to face more and more closely. So if we do want to see that promised land and experience everything that Jesus has given us, the reason behind everything that we do in our faith, that's the desire that we'll listen to, the yearning in our heart to see God. That is his vision of him. And the desire to experience his spirit in us. And that's in everyone. We just ignore it from time to time. Now this side of eternity, of course, that desire is not going to be completely fulfilled and we do get distracted. And as Gregory says, though, even in eternity, it will only grow more and more as we know more of God. There's no end to knowing God. We don't rest. We keep on the journey with him as we're experiencing what he made us for. So that is the promised land, and this is what Moses is leading his people towards, I believe, as they listen to the Ten Commandments, and that's why he gave it to them. So as we exit lockdown, we start to think about what do we hope for in the future? I'd encourage all of us not just to rest in getting back to a normal life, as desirable as that might be, all the wonderful blessings we have down here on the plane, you know, the things that God has given us, but also can keep looking up to the mountain, you know, this thick darkness where God is and towards the greater vision of him that God has promised and planned for us, the people that he loves. That is his call to us now and always. I'd like to pray as we continue to reflect on that today. We thank you, Lord God, for the vision that you gave to Moses of your presence on the mountain. And out of that, the law the guidelines for relationship that will sustain us on that journey. We pray that we would learn to live as your people, to follow your ways so that we can know you more and see you face to face. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are continually interceding for us with your Father and we pray for your continued presence as we journey together as a church in this time and we pray that as we move into the future our hope would be in the vision that you give us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.